Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. Today is Thursday, December 31st, 2020. On this day in 1990, police found sex worker Moraine Armstrong dead in her apartment. She was the first victim of serial killer Robert Spahalski. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of this killer's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of drug addiction and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today we're covering the murder of Moraine Armstrong, serial killer Robert Spahalski's first victim. Let's go back to Rochester, New York, in the dead of night on New Year's Eve. Twenty-four-year-old sex worker Moraine Michelle Armstrong had a craving for crack cocaine, and she knew she didn't have to go far to fill it. She knocked on her neighbor's door and invited him over. It was 36-year-old Robert Spahalski. They both suffered an addiction to crack. Lucky for Armstrong, Spahalski was a petty criminal who smoked and sold it. He had a big stash and was willing to share for a price, of course. Spahalski brought over 10 bags of crack. They settled onto Armstrong's sofa and smoked all of it over the course of several hours. Then they moved to her bedroom and had sex. Spahalski assumed the sex was payment for the crack they just smoked, but apparently Armstrong didn't see it that way. She charged him like she would any John. They started to fight about it. Frankly, Spahalski didn't understand the issue. He'd given away his product for free. Why shouldn't Armstrong do the same? He started to get out of bed, but Armstrong slapped him. She refused to let him leave until he paid her. That's when Spahalski lost it. He threw Armstrong on the bed and began choking her. She fought back viciously. During the struggle, he saw an iron with a long cord and used it to strangle her to death. Then he slipped out of her apartment. Almost 12 hours later, a neighbor named Ugi realized she hadn't heard from Armstrong all day, which was unusual. Thankfully, Ugi was nosy, so when she saw Armstrong's apartment door sitting slightly ajar, she let herself in. The TV was still on, there was cocaine on top of the dresser, and Ugi found Armstrong lying across the bed, naked. Wires were wrapped around her neck. 
Ugi rushed back to her apartment to call 911. When police officers arrived on the scene, they began their investigation by notifying Armstrong's next of kin, her younger sister, Melanie. She'd ID'd Armstrong's body at the apartment. Investigators collected evidence from the crime scene until just before midnight on New Year's Eve. Then they returned to the scene on January 1st, 1991. While investigator Tony Campioni searched the apartment, another officer covered the front yard in crime scene tape. This, of course, grabbed the attention of the entire neighborhood, and soon, a crowd formed. This might seem like a nuisance, but in fact, it was part of the plan. Campioni knew that one of the spectators could be the killer. He went outside to scan the crowd. They were mostly concerned neighbors, but then Campioni noticed a man who looked a little too interested in the crime scene. He later called the man a strange guy. It was Robert Spahalski. Campioni started asking the crowd basic questions, like whether they knew Armstrong and when they saw her last. Soon, he questioned Spahalski. Spahalski told Campioni that he only knew Armstrong in passing. He didn't provide any pertinent information, but Campioni was still suspicious. So he took down Spahalski's contact information and put it in his report, just in case. But unfortunately, it never came in handy. The investigation soon went cold, and Spahalski remained free to kill again. Next, we'll discuss Bahalski's subsequent victims and his surprising family history. Now, back to the story. On December 31st, 36-year-old Robert Spahalski murdered sex worker Moraine Armstrong. After they smoked crack and had sex, he strangled Armstrong with the electric cord from an iron. The next morning, the police swarmed the building in Rochester, New York. Spahalski joined a small crowd of neighbors on the front lawn, watching as the police got to work. But sadly, nothing ever came from the investigation. Spahalski wasn't even an official suspect, which left him free to kill again. Seven months later, in the summer of 1991, 36-year-old Spahalski murdered his girlfriend, Adrian Berger. The couple had a tumultuous relationship. It's unknown how he killed her, but it happened in her Rochester apartment. After killing her, Spahalski left her body in the apartment and parked her car a few blocks away so neighbors would think she was out of town. For days, no one suspected a thing, until a heat wave rolled in. The smell emanating from Berger's apartment was overwhelming. Black flies swarmed the place. Authorities received multiple complaints about the stench. When they went to investigate, they discovered her partially decomposed corpse. The police quickly found Spahalski's fingerprints all over Berger's apartment. Detectives questioned Spahalski, but he didn't say much. He claimed he last saw her a few days earlier and they played dice. And since the police didn't have any reason to hold him, they let him go. 
Spahalski spent the rest of 1991 as a sex worker. In October, he went to the home of one of his clients, a man named Charles Grand. But trouble arose when it was time to pay. It's unclear what the exact issue was, but the fight escalated quickly. Spahalski ended the altercation by grabbing a nearby hammer and bludgeoning Grand to death. Police never suspected Spahalski in the murder, so he once again went free. And with this, his third kill, Robert Spahalski became a serial killer. Although for the next 14 years, he seemed to stay quiet. It's unknown whether he killed anyone else, but he stayed busy committing other misdeeds, sex work and selling cocaine. But his most gruesome murder was yet to come. On November 8, 2005, 51-year-old Spahalski was smoking crack with his friend Vivian Irizari in his own apartment. Soon, he started to hallucinate. He saw Irizari not as herself, but as a demon. Spahalski's addled brain convinced him to exorcise the demon, and so he strangled Irizari, just like he once did to Moraine Armstrong. When he sobered up, he was devastated to learn he killed his friend. Spahalski reportedly bathed Irizari's corpse, then stored it in the cold basement. Filled with regret, he often visited her cadaver to tearfully apologize. But it wasn't enough to alleviate his guilt. A few days later, Spahalski turned himself in to the Rochester police. He confessed to killing Vivian Irizari. Authorities immediately searched his apartment and found her body in the basement. The police arrested Spahalski, who then confessed to the murders of Moraine Armstrong and Charles Grand. In 2006, a jury convicted Spahalski of all three killings. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for each slaying. Now, what makes Spahalski's case unusual is that when he arrived at the prison, he was greeted by his identical twin brother, Stephen, who was serving time for a murder of his own. About 30 years prior, Stephen Spahalski killed 48-year-old Ronald Ripley for, quote, unwanted homosexual advances. Stephen felt so guilty about the murder that he turned himself in a few days later. In 2005, when Stephen heard about Robert's confession, he was shocked. He told a local newspaper, I thought I was the only murderer in the family. It turned out their appearance wasn't the only thing that made these twins identical. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. 
This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Mallory Cara, with writing assistance by Aaron Lan, and fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 